Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Stanley Cup playoffs roll on, and so does Live, Laugh, Leafs. Mike, it's cold enough for two sweaters today. Frankly, a little surprised and a little upset that you're not taking advantage of that opportunity. You know what? I love the two-sweater weather. It's, it's my favorite time of the year. It's when, you know, I'm not a big pumpkin spice guy, but just... Just love it. Now, what's weird is that it's getting colder, and yet you've, you've reduced the amount of shieldage that your face has with your beard. I'm, I'm, I'm confused as to why the, usually, you know, uh, the lumberjack men, they, they grow their beards out like crazy. You know, they, they like to, you know, bulk up for the winter, and you seem to have, have gone clean shaven. What's, what's the deal here? Well, for me, thermoregulation is a pretty complicated process. So if I'm mm. adding more layers, I take them off in different yeah. areas, and that's, the, uh, that's the, probably the safest way to... Uh, to make sure that everything stays, you know, at a reasonable level for me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You already have the two sweaters going on, so like you have another sweater on your face. It's. I get it. it makes sense. Too many sweaters. Too two, many sweaters. two sweater max. Two sweaters. Is there a such thing as too many sweaters? In my opinion, there isn't. But who knows? It's up for debate. Who's to say? I have no segue for that. So let's just jump <laughs> into the game because uh, I don't think anyone wants us to talk about sweaters any longer. Uh, Let's, I guess we can give a little recap of where we're at. Mm-hmm. Dallas took a 2-1 series lead over Vegas uh, in their Western Conference final, and the Tampa Bay Lightning own a 2-0 advantage over the New York Islanders. Uh, with their Game 2 victory, obviously Tampa and New York are up next, and then Dallas and Vegas uh, will return for Game 4. So we'll start with Dallas and, and, and Vegas just because it's the most fresh series. And mm-hmm. what, we, what we saw in Game 3 was a goaltending duel that was won by probably the inferior goaltender, uh, but one who is certainly impressed uh, during these playoffs. I would say, yeah, like Kudobin has, was maybe the inferior goaltender throughout the entire playoffs, but he was phenomenal last night. He was, it, mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure, um, uh, I think it was, not Rick Bonus. Uh, sorry, Pete DeBoer described his performance as Demko-like, and I, I, would, I put that in our prep here too. Like he was, he was phenomenal. Some of the saves he made, um, there, was, there was that great, you know, that great sequence on the power play, uh, I think in the third period when he just kind of slammed the door and there was one right in front of the net with, uh, with Riley Smith where the, the splits, I didn't even know a human being could be that flexible. I can't even touch my toes from standing up. I can't even come close. To work on that, man. Oh, exactly. I got that mobility. It's, it's, it's not, it's not great. But with, with Kudobin, this guy, he's, he's bending himself like a pretzel. It's crazy. I thought he was fantastic. Um, on the other end, Leonard, he was, he was fan- He was great too. This, the goaltending duel here has made up for somewhat of a lackluster offensive output from an entertainment perspective because the first game was a slog um second game was a little more interesting uh but this game even though it was you know a 3-2 game still relatively low scoring everyone was oh they you know there's there's more than two goals in this game it's fantastic both goalies really 
really stepped up. It was really interesting to see. I loved it. It was sort of the perfect, I mean, Robin Leonard was riding this ridiculous shutout streak. I don't know if it reached, well, they're only three years old, so it probably is on the record books for them, <laughs> even though they played a lot of playoff games in three yeah. years. But um, yeah, it took this like kind of crazy sequence to finally break, you know, this deadlock between these two teams, which was Jamie Alexiak on a breakaway scoring what was actually a pretty nice goal, pretty pretty decent finish for the fact that he had, you know, one of these great goaltenders in front of him, but also uh, Alec Martinez chasing him there. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Kudobin was just a little bit better, a little bit more spectacular. Frankly, it was a little surprising to see Robin Leonard get beat like through the body, like on that Jamie Ben goal, he just beat him through the five hole. And it looked like Robin Leonard was basically impossible to beat unless you had a screen in front of him and you were touching it off the post uh, before it went into the net. Uh, that's how well he's been playing in these playoffs. So it was a little surprising to see one go through him. Obviously, it was surprising to see Jamie Alexiak score in the breakaway, but it was a little fortunate uh, and a nice play by him. Uh, and then that last goal, I don't know if the you know the end of the uh, of regulation impacted up. Leonard coming into the into overtime. Uh, but that didn't look normal for him to drop mm -hmm. on one knee. He's usually a guy who just drops into the butterfly and, and makes himself as big as possible. And it looked like he was guessing on that shot from Radulov. Uh, and Radulov said his eyes were closed, so maybe he was guessing on where the shot was going as well. Uh, but it was a little surprising to see Leonard get beat, even though those were like, you know, pretty grade A opportunities. It's just that Leonard's got to the point where it doesn't seem like he can be beat. So it's a little shocking, a little jarring uh, when you see two goals that he potentially could have stopped actually going to the back of the net. Well, A, that shot was fantastic by Radulov on the OT winner. Like, it was, mm -hmm. it was, it was gorgeous. I was watching the – I watched the game last night, but I was watching the highlights back this morning and Ken Reed – um, on Sportsnet said he wants to go on a date with that with that shot, and I agree. Um, sounds great. If that shot is open, please, my DMs mm -hmm. are also open. Um, but the what was interesting is so both goalies looked like they were battling injuries. Like it was it was a debate on whether or not they were both going to come back into the game for OT. You know, Kudobin looked like he tweaked his groin a bit because he was just sprawling over the ice. Leonard, on the other hand, I definitely think that. So he he looked at, at in that final play where Nate Schmidt made the dumbest break or you know dump out I've ever seen like it just yeah. I don't know what he was thinking there it was almost like he he decided to throw it off the glass in a manner that would perfectly give it to like just dump the puck man it's I, it hit, I think it hit a stanchion right I know, like, but, but that like, was just, like that was a hockey puck. god bounce because you just should have should have ate the puck at that point but exactly. throwing it off the glass and it and when it was so unre or so not uh uh you know, required of him at all to get rid of the puck in that instance. I mean, he sort of deserved to get that lucky bounce or that unfortunate bounce, I guess, for Vegas. Exactly. There's 17 seconds left in the game, man. Just either like circle it back around the net or dump it. But it definitely looked like the shot. Um, who shot it? I think it was Patch. Was it Pacioretty? I can't remember. Maybe Riley Smith. Oh, which that, one? The, the in like the dying seconds of the game when uh, when when Schmidt. Uh, no, it was Jamie Jamie Ben. Yes. Sorry, it was Jamie Ben. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I'm all messed up here. Yeah, Jamie Ben. Um, it looked like that, that puck hit like the inside of Leonard's, Leonard's knee. Like he looked yeah. like he went down, he was sprawling. And that, I mean, that definitely played into that OT winner. I think he was, you're right. He was more hesitant. Leonard's a guy who likes to make himself as big as possible. He either stands his ground or he goes to the butterfly to try and cover up as much of the bottom of the net. And he just kind of was caught in that sort of middle ground where, you know, what do I do when he does the one, the sort of one knee kneel and he just got beat clean. It was a great shot, but I do think that that, I do think that the end sequence there, the fact that he was a little shaken up was you know that that played into it for sure i feel somewhat responsible for leonard giving up two uh 
I would say weak goals based on his own standard, but it's pretty, pretty, you know, understandable mm. goals, but I feel somewhat responsible because I had just annoyed him on Twitter and we're doing the, the whole rehashing tweet things again, uh, that he was the second best goaltender maybe in the world right now behind Andre Vasilevsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's at that point where he just looked unstoppable uh, until all of a sudden two went in behind him. Yeah, he was incredible. Like it's both these goalies were fantastic. It was a great goaltending uh, performance. And even though uh, the game was three, two, it was, it was great to see two goaltenders at the, at the, the height of their powers. And I, my favorite is just that we need to have a compilation because it seems like it's happening more in these playoffs than it has in, in maybe recent others. And this could be recent recency bias here, but we need a compilation at the end of the playoffs of the disbelief reaction faces of every player who had a sure goal that they thought they were going to score before getting robbed. Because, because Demko could have his own in the three games that he played. But yeah, he, I mean, Vegas could have their own running into Kadobin and – Exactly. Demko in these playoffs for sure. If Vegas can get through Demko and Kudobin, like that's, I think that they they feel they would feel then that they could beat anybody. Like it's those these these are two of the most impressive goaltending performances we've seen. Uh, you know, especially in these playoffs, maybe in recent years. And they're they're both. If they can get past them, that'd be fantastic. I mean, it, in terms of confidence. And which has made Robin Leonard's performance so important, right? Mm-hmm. I mean. They've ran in the past six games or so. They've ran into just elite, elite goaltending. And Robin Leonard's played in five of those games, and and Leonard basically hasn't hasn't blinked at all until yeah. the end of game three. Uh, he's been just as good or almost as good as both those netminers in each game. And because Vegas has been so much better than Vancouver and Dallas at points in the series, maybe not as much as with Dallas as they were with Vancouver. Uh, but it's basically just underscored how important or how important it has been that he has been so good. Uh, it has been nice to see, or it was to nice, to, nice to see in that game that it opened up a little bit. I mean, it was really game one was a drag. Game two oh. was sort of one team just burying the other in Dallas, not really having anything uh, to give Vegas in that game. Uh, but it, it seemed like it opened up a little bit. I mean, we actually saw forward scoring goals, which, which you know, mm-hmm. I'll call that progress in this series. Uh, but it, it, I, I feel like this, this series can, can reach the next level uh, based on, you know, we have all the characters present. We had a little drama where Vegas mm-hmm. has to chase a game and they're the ones that can get 40 shots, but they're not the ones that can score four or five goals every game. And Dallas does have that scoring punch still as well. So I think it's going to open up a little bit. I think we're going to see more entertaining game four. And I believe it's going to go pretty long this series. And, and I think we deserve that. Yeah, I think now we're starting to see these two teams in the way that they are meant to be seen. Like, now we're starting to see these teams with the players who we expected to perform showing up. I mean, Pacioretty himself could have had a hat trick this game. Like, it was – like, he's their le- – he was Vegas's leading scorer in the, uh, in the regular season, and he was able – he had three incredible chances. He just got stoned. You know, we have Riley Smith stepping up. Haven't seen too much of Jonathan Marcheseau, but, you know, and then obviously Radulov and Ben and Penny Alexiak's uh, brother as well mm-hmm. um, scoring that goal. And that's how we will be referring to, to Jamie Alexiak on this podcast. Sure. Um, national hero, Penny Alexiak. Uh, but it's, this, is, this is where we're starting to see these two teams being played the way that I think that we're meant to see them. Like it's, 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 still, sort of a, it's still sort of lockdown grinding hockey, but at least, at least, like you said, it's opening up. At least there's a little bit more offensive creativity. There's more high danger chances. Um, the play is going you know, back and forth kind of at both ends. It, it's really interesting. And I was, I was really happy to see, maybe not happy, but I was really interested. Happy, I guess, is, is the right way to, to describe it that ot ended in 30 seconds because mm-hmm. that just goes i to actually show. missed it i was late coming back from the football game and i missed come on it. man yeah it's yeah. 
it's rough. Uh, but no, it, it, it was it like in terms of how many like sort of slog, not not slog, but long overtimes we've seen in these playoffs. It was nice for Radulov to get it and just absolutely snipe one 30 seconds flat like that. Um, yeah, it, I, I was this was a game in terms of a, a an entertainment standpoint. This was definitely a game that took a step in the right direction. It's baby steps. Obviously, when we're talking about forwards scoring and as progress, it's a little interesting, but that was it was a good baby step here. Now, you mentioned a bunch of different players there mm -hmm. that were, you know, as potential X factors or, or players that we needed to see a little bit more from in order to see continued progress. But you didn't mm -hmm. mention Mark Stone. Now, you have down here mm -hmm. as a note that what are Mark Stone's chances of winning the Conn Smythe? I, this, this leads me in, a little bit into it, a hot take that I have okay. not brought to the masses oh on Twitter. But I don't think Mark Stone has been very good lately. Really? I don't think he's... I think he's, yes, he can, he, he can put together a little highlight of him, you know, taking the puck away from guys. But I think you could make a highlight of him losing the puck and some sloppy play from him as well. He only has, I think, two points in the last six games. Four of those games are losses for Vegas. He needs to be better than he has been, certainly lately, in order for Vegas to actually, you know, score enough goals to win this series. I think it, a lot of it falls on him, and I don't think he's been very good in the last four or five games. Uh, I've, I've been reluctant and reticent to say it because everyone's been giving him all this praise and I get it, but I don't know. I don't think we can just get excited about him turning over the puck right now when Vegas' season is hanging in the balance and he just doesn't have, he just hasn't held his end of the bargain from an offensive standpoint. I mean, all right. Uh, that's, that's a, that is a hot take considering everything that's being, you know, bandied about with him, uh, yeah, I, I, you know what? You're right. Like, he, to be honest, the, the numbers haven't really been there, um, in, at least in the playoffs so far. But he, he just does so many things well. Like, he's just – he's such an interesting player to watch. He's such a – look, man, he's got 17 points in 18 games in the playoffs. Like, that, like he's stellar defensively. He's able to, to take the puck away from – like, those, there's, those compilations of him stripping the puck – from people I mean yeah like you know that's one thing but that is so important in playoff games and that is his his ability to do that especially in open ice and just completely change the rate of possession completely change the momentum of the play it's it's fantastic he's he might be a little slow right now but I think that the things that he's doing away from the puck the defensive ability that he has the you know he's just so responsible like if I had a vote I would have voted him in you know at least top three in, in, in Selkie um uh in the Selkie votes like it's He's been fantastic. I, I, I agree that, like you said, offensively, it hasn't necessarily been there lately. And Vegas really needs that. And we talked about that in the last podcast on, you know, we're a little wary of Vegas's offensibility. But in terms of wanting a player who, in terms of finding a player who does everything you kind of want to see from someone in the playoffs, Mark Stone is right up there. Like he scored last night and he, he you know, I, I trust him every time he's on the ice. Like he's, he's fantastic. Mark Stone, like Shea Theodore is, is obviously the, um, Shea Theodore or Leonard are obviously the, uh, the Conn Smythe favorites if Vegas wins the cup, for sure, or even makes, mm -hmm. makes the cup final. They've both been fantastic. Shea Theodore is having one of the most – Shea Theodore and Mira Heiskin, we're, and we're, we're kind of dropping the ball on, on, the, on the latter one there in terms of talking about him. But they're both, he's had a prolific Stan, um, Stanley Cup playoff run right now. But Mark Stone, just the little things he does, he is integral to this team's success. And I, I am – like, I, I, I would – at least consider it if they make that make it this far and he kind of gets on a bit of a run. Like I, I think we need to bring up Mark Stone. I think that's why I put him in here. We need to talk about him. 
it's interesting because I thought he did have that goal, but now I'm looking at the uh, – I'm looking at ESPN.com. They could be wrong, but it has him down for the assist on oh, that yeah. goal that uh, Alex Tuck scored or he scored. Oh. What, it was, uh, I'm not it, was sure. a, it was mucking in front of the net. I thought he yeah, scored I thought, it, maybe I they... thought it went off stone as well. But, I mean, that doesn't yeah. matter. He was in, integral to that goal, but yeah, he was but also he integral – he was also integral to the Jamie Alexiak goal. I mean, he was the one who had his shot blocked. He was the one who fell when he was trying to get back. And he was the one that sort of allowed Jamie Alexiak to sprint forward. So I think if we mention that, we should mention his role That's in that. True. And I do think you're right. I mean, I think he's probably the forward that stands out. Mm-hmm. But Shea Theodore and Robin Leonard, I believe, are way ahead if yeah, we're talking yeah. about consummate trophy rankings, at least with Vegas. And I think that goes back to the problem that I've outlined before with them is I don't think they have a clear candidate for the Conn Smythe Trophy when looking at their forward groups. I don't think their forwards have been good enough. I don't think they've had a really outstanding performance from their forward group yet. And I think Stone probably leads that, but I still think Stone is leaving a little bit to the imagination. And I think that was underscored a little bit, uh, especially on that Alexiak play last night. No, you're right. Like he's, it's, it's been a little disappointing to see, uh, to see how little Vegas's forwards at least have stepped up. But then again, they're, they're, like we said, we, we've broken down how they play before. They play as a collective unit. You know, you want to be able to go through these, these three and four lines and, and not be as – and not have a ton of variance between them. Like in – you know, we talked about Ryan Reeves coming. Like, Ryan Reeves is back, and he's, he's played a great part of that. Like, he's not going to be nominated for the, the Conn Smythe at all, but they, they play differently when he's on the ice. Vegas is deep. They might not be top-heavy, as some teams are, but they're deep, and uh, they are going to need – a lot of their forwards to step up. Another thing that I noticed is although he got an assist last night and, you know, he's doing okay in the playoffs this year, um, but I haven't seen a ton. Like, he's got eight points in 18 games. I haven't seen a ton from Tyler Sagan. Like, he's no. supposed to be – imagine – we're talking about how Dallas has had this offensive resurgence, this offensive renaissance after struggling in the regular season, and yet arguably their most lethal offensive player, at least just has, has essentially been nowhere to be seen. Like Tyler Sagan, he's supposed to be their guy. And he's in, and I haven't noticed him at all. No, I'm waiting for their owner to, you know, call, <laughs> call an impromptu press conference and fire them up, at least on the Sagan front. I think Jamie Benn has certainly stepped up, but yes. uh, Sagan certainly has not met expectations in these playoffs. I don't think he's been probably, uh, I don't think he's been at that level, even through, you know, we're in the third round now, but Maybe at the start, he wasn't quite there. Uh, I, the points might be there a little bit early on, but they've certainly dried up. Uh, and I don't know if he's, you know, battling some sort of injury. We've seen sort of some clips of him wincing and so on and so forth. But, uh, I mean, we can still say that they're going to have to get Tyler Sagan going to get through to the next round and win the Stanley Cup. But they're now two wins away from moving on to the Stanley Cup final. So maybe contributions from Sagan, at least on a goal-scoring front, aren't necessary when guys like Radulov and Benner stepping up and you're getting that production from Miro Heiskanen and you're just getting sublime goaltending from your backup, Anton Kudobin. So, you know, it maybe just, he doesn't have to be that superstar player for them or that superstar forward that's filling the net. Uh, but he could certainly give them a boost. That's for sure. You know, what's being lost in all this too, is that both of these teams are playing with coaches that they didn't start the season with. Like that's mm-hmm. the, because it's, it's just being, and the Gallant firing was, was quizzical. Like it didn't make any sense to me, but that this is like this hasn't been being talked about enough that we both have these two two teams who switch coaches midseason are battling out and are arguably the two most well I wouldn't say the two most formidable teams left in the cup final or in, in the the playoffs because obviously Tampa I think is above both but they're both remarkably structured and and this is a remarkably even series and we have two we have one coach who has the interim tag still on him 
another one who was who was hired mid-season in in Dubor, uh, Dubor, not Dubor. Um, that hasn't that's kind of gone under the radar. Like, this is pretty remarkable that these teams are looking as good as they are with having you know this complete sort of having to essentially change everything mid-season. Yeah, I think it says a lot about the roster construction in both sides. I mean, Vegas, Vegas firing Gerard Gallant was a shock to pretty much everyone who wasn't, I guess, really in tune what's going on with that team. As is every Gerard Gallant firing. Exactly. I mean, Gallant yeah. had just, you know, less than two years removed from coach of the year, uh, taking a expansion franchise to the Stanley Cup final. But clearly they knew that they were a better team than they were showing. Yeah. Uh, and and they identified a really talented coach in Pete DeBoer, a guy who has brought two teams to the Stanley Cup final in his first season uh, with those organizations. So knowing that they had a candidate out there that they could get that was just fired from a rival who they really trusted his ability. I mean, uh, it says more, I think the fact that they're having success says more about the fact that they built a good roster, but also had the courage to make a decision to, you know, to change coaches only to make, you know, maybe even slight improvements. I think it might be larger than slight improvements uh, that they've seen under DeBoer, but, you know, they're not settling. They didn't, they didn't become complacent because they had some success early in their three years. But I think at first and foremost, both these organizations build good teams and, DeBoer and, and Bonus are certainly capable guys who have had success, one at the head coaching level and one as a, as a longtime assistant who's been around the league for a long time. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, I just thought it was something that we haven't really talked about that much is that the two teams in the Western Conference final are teams who had relatively unexpected coaching changes. And like both of them came kind of out of nowhere. The Jim Montgomery um, one was, was due to personal reasons. And then certainly, yeah. Gerard Gallant came out of nowhere and these that could have been a bombshell to any kind of team in the middle of the season not even mentioning the pandemic that happened after that and now they're in the Western Conference final and duking it out and it's as even a series as there has been really so it's, it's really I mean it's remarkable that both of these teams have been able to, to forge ahead. Let's transition to a series that is uh, not even at all. Tampa nope. Bay is up 2 nothing over the New York Islanders, uh, and they've done it two different ways, which I think is the most impressive thing from the Lightning. Obviously, in game one, they had that 8-2 beatdown over, you know, the, the excuses came in with the Islanders being a tired team that, you know, had to travel and one day's rest and, and all that. Uh, but then they were able to implement their game, which was a – basically, they dragged Tampa Bay into the mud. Uh, yep. It became a little greasy. There were some nasty hits. There was some nastiness. Uh, and a lot of things went down that basically sucked the life out of the game and sucked all the talent and energy out of Tampa Bay. But they still, with eight seconds left, were able to produce a moment of uh, pretty decisive offense with Ryan McDonough setting up uh, uh, Nikita Kucherov for the game winner with, as I mentioned, eight seconds left. So winning two ways, important. They're gonna have, you have to win mo- multiple ways to win a series, but doing it right off the bat is probably something that's probably, you know, going to, the frustration is going to set in with New York because, yeah, they could probably, you know, get get over the first one because it was anomaly it, or they could at least tell themselves that it was anomaly. But to actually have success and still be beaten the way they were in that really, uh, you know, just sucks the life out of you when you lose in the final seconds like that, it's got to be pretty disheartening for the Islanders who obviously need an even better effort to get within a game of this series. but this one could certainly be over uh, or very close to over after game three because Tampa Bay just looks like the far superior team. Yeah, I just hope that a lot of like columnists get their Lou Lamorello, you know, getting nominated for GM of the Ward uh, puff pieces out before his team gets exposed in the playoffs by playing an actually good team. Because this, 
they built a team and it's coached really well, obviously, by Barry Trotz, but they but Lamarello built a team that is supposed to play sound defensive hockey, bore teams into victories, et cetera, et cetera. And the most high flying, arguably the most high flying offensive team in the league, just beat them at their own game. So I think that that is a stunning, that's, that should be a stunning punch to the face, like a punch to the, a punch to the gut, really, um, for this team. Because they, they pride themselves, like, look, the first one, like you said, they can say it's an anomaly. We were, we were you know, we were not rested, um, it, and Tampa just was able to take over the game right off the hop and whatever. But now when, you, when you're playing a team that, you know, you're supposed to have the edge when it comes to defense. You're supposed to be the more structured. You're supposed to be the team that is able to, to sort of batten down the hatches. And Tampa still beat you. They, and they beat you playing that style of hockey. You dragged them into the mud, and they still came out victorious. I think that is, that is a testament to show just how, um, just how sh- shaky the Islanders are from a, a roster construction standpoint. Because, yeah, look, they, they're great at, at doing that. They're great at playing that sort of old-school trap hockey that uh, that Lamorello you know from the days of yore that he loves so much but uh, they really didn't play like the most legit teams coming up here they this is the first really good I would say elite team in the playoffs that they faced and they've been beaten in essentially the two big the two biggest ways or the two most damning ways you can be beaten in the playoffs which is getting the doors blown off you and then also getting beat in a sound defensive hockey game I think this is like you're talking about the panic and frustration I think it should be you know all it should be a five alarm five alarm fire it should be defcon five or whatever in in their dressing room right now because it's like what what do we have what's what's our counterpunch here this was their counterpunch and they lost when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, I mean, I think what we're learning is, and what we have learned and what we probably suspected was that the Islanders are just a high-level gatekeeper. Yeah. They have this, they have this you know, high, high floor, low ceiling thing where they're, you know, a, a, a test for all teams, but uh, a test in which elite teams can overcome and teams that aren't for real can't overcome. They're pretty much just locked into exactly what they are, which is gatekeeper status. And the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, unlike the Philadelphia Flyers, unlike the Washington Capitals, unlike the Florida Panthers, are a legit Stanley Cup contender. And I, I don't think there's any reason to suggest uh, unless they run into a pile of injuries and suspensions and, and different problems that they won't be able to get over the New York Islanders mm-hmm. or the high-level gatekeeper. Uh, but there is problems because Brain yes. Point uh, is, uh, picked up an injury. Alex Kalorin picked up a suspension. Mm-hmm. That could leave them – that left them with nine forwards in the game, which made things a little bit more tricky for Tampa Bay, and it didn't really matter in the end. Um, but losing Point 
who is a legitimate consmite trophy yes. candidate oh okay. uh, that was that was right. <laughs> that was a bit much <laughs> okay all right moving on uh, legitimate consmite <laughs> trophy candidate that, that, that just felt mean coming out those of are mouth. fighting words right there those are fighting words um but uh, alex Kaloran is not that but he is at least one of the uh, 11 guys that was getting chosen by John Cooper. And if you're losing him for game three and potentially are without Brayden Point for game three, that means guys like Carter Verhage and Mitchell Stevens are coming in. And that like, you know, the the no dip in terms of where you are with your forward lines, you're not seeing a drop off at all. There's a drop off in talent, but a drop off in at least value at every position hasn't been there for the Lightning in these entire playoffs, even without Steven Stamkos not around, mind you. But I think you're 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 inviting some other guys into this into this series. Uh, maybe the Islanders can create some advantages for themselves uh, if Braden Point is not around and Alex Kaloran is not around at least for Game Three. So uh, we can talk about the suspension for Kaloran. It's just one game. I I thought he's I thought he should have just got off with the rest of the yeah. game that he did serve Game Two. Uh, I think we've seen a lot of we've seen a lot of hits like that. I think. Kotkin-Yemi's was probably the closest and I think he got away with just you know missing the remainder of that game uh but yeah I think it's an opportunity for the Islanders just not confident they're going to take it yeah this is I mean as it's, it's easy to say you know this is a must win because clearly if you go down 3-0 in any series it, you're it's basically you know curtains but the fact that the fact that they're missing they're already missing Steven Stankos so this is even the lightning at their full power like this isn't even their final form then Braden Point is arguably their most important forward. I wouldn't say arguably. Uh, well, yeah, with him and Kucherov are probably neck and neck. But Braden Point, in terms of the, the position he plays, he's the most important forward. They could be missing him for game for pivotal game three. And then Alex Kalorn, yes, he's, like you said, he's not a he's not a Con Smythe, you know, nominee, but he's an important part of that top six. He's gone too, and and that suspension was ridiculous. There's so many different. There's so many hits that have been worse in the playoffs that have gotten off clean and he also served part of the game that should be that should be he served the rest of the game that should be the penalty enough like he already basically missed half a game now they're spending him for one and a half ridiculous but yeah the islanders like if they if it's easy to say if they don't take this if they if they don't take this this opportunity and run with it and at least get a game in here then the series is over it's easy to say that because a 3-0 series deficit is basically you know curtains but yeah like like the point still stands they need to take advantage of this they need to take advantage of a beat-up team um, they already couldn't take advantage of a team that was down to nine forwards, but they need to take advantage of a beat up team that is missing two important forwards that is missing uh, two important forwards immediately from their last game, missing one of their most important forwards um, for the entire playoffs. And is, and you know, it, they're, they're, they're shorthanded. They're, they're going to put a bunch of young guys in, in, in the lineup in a playoff game in, a, in an Eastern conference final um, matchup that, you know, the moment might be too big for them. So they need to take advantage of this. They need to be able to play their game. And they, they showed that they couldn't do that. With a team that had nine forwards left at the end of the game, they had surrendered a buzzer-beater goal, which is supposed to be the antithesis of the way that they play hockey. So, look, the Islanders, like, this is, this is as, as do or die as it's ever been for them. And if they don't, then we basically don't even have to watch the last uh, game four because we know how it's going to go. Lightning are 10-2 and two in these playoffs. They've won four games in overtime, one in five overtimes, one in the second overtime. And Domination. probably consider Kucherov's goal overtime. So half their wins have been tight, but they are 10-2 and two in the playoffs. This is – I mean, we've seen teams – I mean, they've got a long way to go, obviously. I think 
I think we've seen a team. Did the LA Kings only lose two games on their way to a Stanley Cup? Yeah, one? This, the LA Kings. Sw- I, yeah, the LA Kings. I think in their the year that they finished in eighth, like they were the last. They were the last seed. Their first cup, I'm pretty sure. Was it? 20- yeah, they just dummied everybody. They just went in and they steamrolled. They they ended the Canucks and then they. It was 2012. I'm pretty sure they steamrolled everyone. It was remarkable. But yeah, the, Tampa Bay. This is the, the like they're 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 in another tier to any other team that's in the playoffs this year. They're remarkable. They've, they've faced really they've faced teams that are supposed to frustrate them. Like this hasn't yeah. been it hasn't been, oh, we're gonna just flex power on power, fight fire with fire. They've had to face the Blue Jackets, Bruins, and Islanders, which are three teams that are supposed to frustrate a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning. And it hasn't been frustrating at all. It has been clean. Yes, they've had one one series uh, in the previous two. Uh, but they rattled off three victories to close it out in five in both the previous series. And I would be surprised, frankly, if this one goes five because the Tampa Bay Lightning are just on another level. It's not quite the LA Kings of 2012. It could be, though. Uh, but I think they're going to they're gonna meet a good team, whoever comes through in the Stanley Cup final. But I, I, think, it's, I think we're both pretty confident that uh, uh, New York just does not have what it takes to beat Tampa Bay. Yeah, if I could pick three teams that would it- – maybe not from a talent perspective, but at least from, a, from the confines of a playoff series, give Tampa the most trouble from the way they play, it would be Columbus, Boston, and the Islanders. Just in terms of how they, how they all play sound defensively, how they're all kind of steered towards, like I said, battening down the hatches and muting the, the, off, muting the kind of game that Tampa thrives on, muting that high-flying, fly, high you know, fire-wagon type of hockey. They all kind of play the antithesis of that. And Tampa has steamrolled through all of them so far like they they are dominant and they've they've shown it's not so much even that they slayed their demon in columbus it's that they've slayed three teams that were sort of built to yeah to built to to negate the kind of hockey that they play and they've they've barely broken a sweat it's remarkable like it if i'm tampa and this might be something where they can sort of they can and they've done it without steven stamkos which is remarkable in its own right but if i'm tampa like yes you know you're miss you might be missing you know point and kucherov or not kucherov point and um Lauren in this next game but why would you not believe why would you not have all the confidence in yourself that anyone can come into this lineup and still be great you've you've you teams have been every roadblock has been placed in your path has been designed to 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 eliminate you and you've done nothing but steamroll them and barely had to like you're jaunting through a farmer's market it's remarkable so yeah good they they should be feeling themselves more than any other team right now and I don't think that that this sort of Yes, it's, a, it's an opportunity for the Islanders to come in and see if they can take advantage of a, of a shorthanded team. But Tampa, like, if any team should be believing in themselves right now, it's them. I don't think they should be phased by this at all. Three teams that should be able to at least frustrate, frustrate them from an offensive perspective, and yet they have 43 goals in those 12 games. That's good for three and a half per. That's going to get it done, especially yep. when you have Andre Vasilevsky in net. Tampa Bay are looking and feeling good right now and probably should be favored to close this thing out in four games, but we'll see where we get there. Uh, let's move on to news and notes. We yep. only, uh, only got two series, so we can, devote, or we can devote a little bit more time to uh, what's going on with the rest of the league and all these teams being angry that the Maple Leafs are making deals. Uh, we will see deals at the draft, which has been moved up oh, to yeah. October 6th. October 6th, what is that, a Tuesday? Why is the NHL draft going to be on a Tuesday? Is it Tuesday? Wednesday, same thing. Yeah, I don't know. Why is it not happening on a Friday is what I'm getting at. I don't know. But I think they're, they're thinking, you know, everyone's still at home anyway, like as much as they should be. It's, they're, they're taking advantage of the, you know, they're taking advantage of the moment. Like it, on a Friday, it, maybe people are out more, but on a Tuesday in a pandemic, 
there's no better, there's no other thing to do than watch TV, right? So I think that's kind of what they're trying to capitalize on. It is Tuesday, and I'll tell you what they're doing. They found one of, I guess, three days during the week oh, okay. that do not have NFL football being played. Yep. I guess they want to avoid the Saturday because there's other things going on on Saturdays, obviously. So if you have your draft on a Tuesday and Wednesday, you might be able to steal some viewers. And that, I assume, staying away from the NFL is the only reason why they've pushed the draft up to, the, to October 6th. I'm fine with that. Leaves Thanksgiving weekend open. Maybe we Thank can take you. some time off and we won't have to, uh, you know, discuss what type of sweaters we chose for the holiday. I'm, I'm cool with that though. Like I, yeah. I would love to do that. It's all, yeah, like I said, like it, it, makes, it makes the most sense because yes, you're not gonna run into the NFL on Friday or Saturday, but people are still, even though we're in a pandemic, people are still doing things on those days. It might not be, you know, like people are not sitting down on their couch just watching, but in the middle of a week, Tuesday, it's not even hump day yet. No one's going out on a Tuesday. Like the, yes, the, you know, Vine would say that the club is going up on a Tuesday, but it's not really, not in a pandemic. So at least they're going to be maximizing eyes. They don't have to clash with the NFL that essentially owns two days of the week. It makes sense. Uh, October 9th, which means it's a Friday for free agency mm -hmm. beginning. I don't think it'll be as entertaining as, or as noteworthy as the draft. I mean, they'll still probably be the all day you know, television production that we'll probably all be watching. Mm -hmm. um, but it won't run in line, I guess, with potentially, you know, NFL games and other action that's going on. The NBA obviously could be in its uh, NBA finals at that point. So there's going to be a lot of other things going on. I think it makes sense for the, uh, the, the NHL to just try and slide that draft into a time slot that might draw some eyeballs. We can move on with this, but I want to just give a quick prediction from you. Mm -hmm. uh, will the Leafs use the 15th overall pick? I think they will. Ash, no. I think I. Ah, I don't know. In normal circumstances, I'd say no because a I, they might either there's been a lot of rumblings that they might trade it, and also Cal Dubas loves to trade back. But man, the fifteenth pick in this draft, like this draft is so deep. I don't know if you want to give up a pick that high in this draft, even though you can maximize some in the lower end. I think fifteenth is still high enough where you can get a really good player. It's close enough to the lottery where the where the talent separation between you know maybe one to fifteen and then. Uh, you know, 16 to, to 31 um, is a little, it's, it's a little more pronounced. I don't know. I, I'm gonna say yes, but I wouldn't put a lot of money on it, but I'm gonna well, say yes. It could be used to land a goaltender because one of the top free agents at that position, if they are looking to replace Freddie Frederick Anderson, uh, was supposed to be Robin Leonard, but apparently mm -hmm. Robin Leonard and the Vegas Golden Knights are interested in an extension and some people speculating that they already have it done, but they're not going to announce it uh, until, you know, after the postseason or when they are ready to announce it. It's rumored to be five years at $5 million per, which sounds like an absolute Incredible. bargain for the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, I think Robin Leonard, you know, all power to him. He's a guy who seems comfortable in, in Vegas and in that role and with that organization. And happiness is more important than chasing every last penny you can possibly get. Uh, but I believe he could probably do better than five years at five million per on the open market because, as I mentioned, I believe he's at the very top of the game in terms of netminders. Uh, but that likely means he's not an option for the Maple Leafs. Uh, the number one goalie would be off the board in free agency, so all the other teams would be searching for maybe Plan B. Uh, I guess to your reaction on that marriage, what it might mean for Mark Andre Fleury, and what it might mean for teams that are looking for goaltending help this offseason. Well, it makes sense from 
the Leonard standpoint. I mean, yes, he's, he might be, he's get, definitely giving up some dollars. I mean, that's an incredible contract. Five years at $5 million per for maybe the, the, a top two goaltender in the league right now. Incredible. Um, but Leonard has long said that his main priority is term. He wants stability. He's bounced around on one-year contracts, mainly due because I think a lot of organizations with his, um, you know, with the struggles that he's had in the past are wary of, of committing to him that much. And it, it's, it's disappointing in that sense. But I guess when you're looking at a bottom line perspective, you have to, you have to do that. So term is his, his, his number one priority. Um, Five million per, look, it, it's still $5 million in a pandemic. That's fantastic. And also this, this organization clearly believes in him. They brought him in and they now put him in a position to be a starter over who was arguably the franchise face in that. He just wants someone, he wants someone to commit to him. And he's, he said that many times before. And given how the contract negotiations ended with the Islanders, where Lamorello essentially just walked away from him after a, a, a Vesna nomination season, I mean, why wouldn't he? It, you're in, it, times are as uncertain as possible. We don't even know what the next season is going to look like or what the next, when the next season is going to really kick off. So why not, with a, with a, in a city that has clearly adopted you, um, in it, with an organization that has shown that you're a priority to them, you, that you are, if you play well, you are going to uh, you know, unseat anyone, even the, our first ever draft pick, our, our, the best guy in the locker room in our number one you know, franchise phase, you're going to be over him. Yeah, just just lock it down. He clearly wants stability. He clearly wants, and and he's still getting a decent payday. Why make things more complicated? So yeah, lock it in there. In terms of taking the number one goalie off the board, all that does is is raise Jacob Markstrom's dollar, because Leonard was is the most hotly was going to be the most hotly um, sought after goaltender on the market. I mean, he was the Leafs were rumored to be in on him. A million Edmonton is rumored to be in on him. There are a lot of teams that are rumored to be in on Robin Leonard. And if he if he sticks around in Vegas then I would say, yes, there's, there's a deep goaltending market, but the most, the, the sure thing, the only real sort of sure, you know, he needs to have a bounce back or, you know, if he can defy father time, no, like the, 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 the only elite, elite goaltender in currently who's going to hit the market is Jacob Markstrom. And I think that essentially means that the Canucks aren't going to be bringing him back because he's going to be commanding way too much. And I think that means some team is going to be dumb. Some team is going to give him too much money in too many years. And it's going to be another you know, it's going to, it's going to be, it might not happen in the first year, but we're going to be looking at another really, really cavernous goaltender contract. So I'm really interested to see what happens here because essentially that means you, you had, you know, you had two nominations for the prom king and queen here, and then one gets taken off the board. You're essentially the, the bell of the ball. I think it supports Frederick Anderson's chances of coming back to the Maple Leafs just yeah. because one of the guys that everybody's going to be chasing uh, is going to be off the board, and that might make Anderson a little bit more uh, desirable to teams that are still looking for that goaltending help. I'm not sure how the Leafs can improve their goaltending, uh, or at least at least makes it a little bit more complicated for them to try and improve their goaltending while giving up Frederick Anderson. It is interesting uh, that you know we made a big deal of of the Montreal Canadiens having about 14 million dollars or close to $15 million uh, devoted to their goaltenders with the addition of Jake Allen. It'll be $12 million for the next two seasons if Leonard signs and Marc-Andre Fleury doesn't move. I could see Fleury moving, but I could also see, you know, them having to retain the salary on it because who is going to go out and trade for Marc-Andre Fleury at $7 million? Uh, I don't think that's – I just don't see it happening, to be honest. If you can convince Fleury – first of all, I would 100% – the fact that – even with Fleury and Leonard on this new deal, they'd still be paying less than Montreal is paying for their goaltending. Is hilarious because I would, in, 
any day, 10 times out of 10. Take what, Leonard, Leonard's making, you know. Leonard would make five Leonard. mil. And, and Jake Allen makes what, four, just over four? So uh, only a yeah. million dollars more for Robin Leonard as opposed to Jake Allen's. 4.35. Oh, God. So Insane. it's crazy, yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's, if you can convince Fleury to stay, because Leonard has always been, he's never been like the clear cut number one during his most successful years. He's always kind of, he's always played in the 50-ish game range. If you can convince Fleury that yes, it's, it, you're not going to be the starter, but you're going to be our 1B. You're going to split it sort of 50-30. Uh, you're going to kind of go in, in that direction. That would be, that would essentially make Vegas, that would be money well spent. And that would be just such a formidable tandem. Like that would be incredible to just have those two. And if you can convince Fleury somehow to accept that role, kind of like the rat when the Raptors were like, look, we got Marcus also Serge Ibaka come off the bench, be great. And it, it worked. I mean, if, if, if Fleury wants to win another cup, um, if, they, if Vegas doesn't win this year, if Fleury wants to win another cup, this is the best, this is his best chance to stick around to play 30 games, to be the good teammate. He's always been advertised as, and to potentially, like, look, Leonard has dealt with injuries in the past. He's a relatively injury-prone goaltender who has never had a full season of, of being a full starter, a full elite season of being a full starter under his belt. You could potentially step into that starter's role, too. I think that the internal competition between them, again, if the attitudes align, um, would, would bring out the best in both of them. That Vegas could be sitting pretty in net for the next little bit, at least for the immediate future. I mean, yeah, if, if money wasn't a factor, obviously it would be, it would be a, a boon to have both of them. It would be amazing. But this is a team that, you know, while their salary cap situation is pretty settled, uh, they would have to make some changes if they're going to add Robin Leonard at $5 because I think he only makes a little over one right now based on their books uh, because there was retained, there's money retained the with the Leafs, right? That, that cap pit too. Like the Leafs so, laundered that draft pick. Exactly. So, uh, you know, it could mean changes. It could mean that, hey, things are a little bit more important now this season because we got to make sure we win one of these championships. I know Bill Foley is the pressures on uh, from him because he wants to win one as he's getting a little bit older. He wants to win one as soon as possible. Uh, and I think that they're just going to have their foot on the gas pedal as much as possible. But it is going to be harder to maintain your team uh, if you're paying your goaltenders in excess of $10 million. In this case, it would be $12 million. But for Lanner, that's $5 million. And, you know, he might be leaving a little bit of money on the table, but it's tax-free in Vegas. Uh, I don't think he'll be complaining about locking up $25 million in salary. Uh, when his career was, you know, it, we didn't break. know if there was any direction to his career two or three years ago. It's You know what? There's, their cap position isn't – like, they wouldn't have to make as many changes as you'd think. Like, they really – I don't think it would be decimated, but – I No, mean, it wouldn't because even as be – as it stands right now, heading into the offseason, they have four point they have four point nine four one like they have basically four point nine million dollars in cap space at the moment, and Leonard right. would be five. And their only real the only real UFAs or, or RFAs they have to resign are Nick Cousins, Chandler Stevenson, Thomas Nosek, um, John Merrill, and Derek England. Other than than Robin Leonard, who they're not, not going to sign. Exactly. So like it's, no, no, I don't. Not decimated, but you want to improve, right? You want to keep getting better. Or you're getting worse. So, but it's but it's uh, I, Chandler Stevenson would would command a couple million for sure. Yeah. I think they'd probably move on from Nick Cousins uh, or pay him just a little bit. Uh, John Merrill, Derek England's probably gone. Thomas Nosek, they'd want to give a couple million too. So there would have to be changes. Uh, but again, if you're not adding, you're subtracting it, mm -hmm. these days at least. But if they, but at the end of the day, if they win a cup and they solidify that goaltending tandem, like yes, you would, you know what? That essentially it basically confirms that Mark Andre Fleury is not going to be a Vegas Golden Knight moving forward. I really think that you, you, 
as much as as much as they don't have a ton of, of finagling that they have to do, and it would be great to have that, it would be great to have that tandem together. At the same time, it is a deep goaltending market. Like you could go out, they could sign Anton Hudobin, you know, like who oh, knows? Yeah. Like and and, I'm, and no matter what, even on the open market, like even if he makes commands the same amount as Leonard based off this, it'd still be less than what they were paying for the, for this tandem together. So I think the best course of action, like as much as I would love to see that tandem together, and I think that both their personalities work really well in terms of bringing up the best of each other, the mo- money-wise, like they're, they're, the reason why everyone's talking about this deep gold honey market is because you could essentially get like a, a, you know, a serviceable backup for really cheap. So if you want to lock down on Leonard and then go out and get a Hudobin and do that, you know, 50-30 split and save $2 million opposed to what you'd be paying otherwise, go for it. I mean, it's, yeah, but but Vegas, they're sitting pretty happy. Like they have all their pe- they have their core locked in pretty much consistently yeah. moving forward. So it wouldn't if they wanted to keep that, it wouldn't be too much finagling. No, I mean I think yeah, you're seeing you're you're making concessions if you're having a backup goaltender make seven million dollars. I think that's those are just the facts in a salary cap era. Will they would they be better off retaining fifty percent of his salary to get rid of him? Maybe not, because he's still a capable goaltender that can play 40 games and can play every game if something happens to Robin Leonard. Uh, but you cannot waste money nowadays. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how you know locked in your core is. I don't care if you don't have to make any moves. If you're wasting money, uh, then you're you're doing yourself a little bit of a disservice. Especially in a flat. There are especially in flat cap. There are 17 NHL teams that have reduced staff pay during this pandemic. Uh, speaking of money, apparently the Ottawa Senators naturally have reduced the most. And the Leafs are the only team uh, that have not reduced staff pay, which also seems to make all the sense in the world, given the two uh, different financial situations that Ottawa and Toronto uh, just have to exist with. Uh, It it says something about the Leafs, obviously, that they're not making those concessions. It says that they are very rich, which they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it also says that, hey, maybe they 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 have an advantage here because they're going to be able to go out and spend money and continue to funnel every resource they have into making their team great next season and beyond while other teams are really uh, hurting uh, in, in the post-pandemic era. I think, A, it means that the Leafs are going to, in terms of like maybe, James Myrtle covered this in his mailbag today, but it really does make sense, is that they're, to, look, MLSE is owned by Bell and Rogers. Like, it's a split Bell and Rogers majority ownership there. And all we've been seeing, at least from Sportsnet side, is record ratings across the board um, from from this broadcast record ratings from the, from the, uh, the postseason coming in here, they're able to still make money. And so when your ownership um, is still being profitable during a pandemic, which isn't the same for a lot of these teams, some of these some teams are owned by casino magnets who are, who are taking a huge hit, you know, other, other uh, hotel industries, all that kind of stuff. But the, the Leafs are still making money. And so it also goes to show that they could win a, you know, a one for one, you know, budget related trade. Like Frederick Anderson, for example, he only makes $1 million in actual salary next year. So they, so not only that, but now Leonard being taken off the board, potentially, if they want to sell on, on Anderson, I mean, I don't know about Dubas's reputation for commanding big, big prices. Oh, that might be, that might get in the way, but man, that's going to be, some team is going to overpay like crazy if they end up moving because they have all the leverage now. They, they, they're still making money. They're in a position where they don't have to cut any staff pay. Whereas, you know, more than half the league has been able to do that. And their their most attractive trade ship only makes one million dollars in actual salary moving forward. Yeah, I, I think that there this puts them in a great position for a blockbuster trade potentially on draft night on that on that hot Tuesday that we're gonna be we're gonna be watching. Who says the Leafs don't have any advantages 
just I'm, don't expect them to run up an energy bill in their own arena this summer yeah, or I'm this offseason. I'm just waiting for which team is going to complain about this. Which team is going to go to the NHL and be like, oh, the Leafs, Leafs aren't cutting any staff pay. That's unfair. We well, demand I, that. I think some teams would be, at least the Ottawa Senators fans would be a little disappointed if Mark Borowiecki walked mm-hmm. you know, down the 401 to the Toronto Maple Leafs this offseason. I think you heard some rumblings. I've heard rumblings. rumblings. Is there, there is, chatter? There is Are chatter. tires being kicked? Okay, let's not get let's not get too ahead of ourselves there. There's yeah, let's chatter, not get too ahead of ourselves. Rumblings. Let's wait till have the tires. Wait till October 9th. Have yeah. a, <laughs> I can't think of any other <laughs> analogies there. Um, Either way, I think that would be an ideal move for the Maple Leafs if they could so. get a guy like Borvietsky on a on a on a. Uh, Short salary, a guy who can, you know, play those basic minutes is what we're looking for. Basic minutes on that third pair. He's a right shot, I believe. No, he's a left. He's a lefty. He's a left shot. Okay, yeah. I guess it's not as There's perfect. There's no spot on it for him. On it's this. not as perfect unless we could just, you know, move on with the fact that everybody has to be right and left based on uh, what they actually shoot. But he's, he is the type they need. We'll get, yes. we'll, let's say that. He, they need a guy on that right side who can do – or Vietsky things, a guy who can be not only an asset on the ice, but inside the room. You hear nothing about great things about his attitude and what he brings to uh, the Ottawa Senators. I guess it hasn't translated to many wins in recent seasons, uh, but he was a guy who's played a role on teams that did go on, you know, postseason runs. So uh, to me, he's the guy that makes a whole lot of sense. I don't know why the Senators are letting him go because it's a young team that sort of needs that direction. And if he's all that he's been built up to be, Certainly, he would still provide value, even though he's on the twilight of his career. Uh, but he makes a lot of sense to me for the Leafs. Uh, you know, if in a perfect world, he actually shot with his right hand. I wonder if, if, they, like, if these rumors are actually tied to him going out the door. Because, I, like, I, so I'm assuming that these rumors are tied to a lack of conversations between the two sides on a new contract. But that can make sense because the, the – and now buckle up for this – the Sens, in terms of, of pending um, free agents, the Sens have Scott Saverin, Connor Brown, Matthew Peckett, Chris Tierney, Jace Howerlich, Rudolph Balsers, Nick Paul, Anthony Duclair, Ron Hainsey, Andreas Englund, and Craig Anderson all up as potential free agents this year. They have, they're in, they have four forwards that are under contract for next year and four defensemen. Um, so it could just be that he's not at the top of their priority list in, in, in terms of contract talks. But if they really are, now I've heard like rumblings that, you know, this is like a legitimate, this is a legitimate like exit. Like he, like he, he I've heard people say he might not actually, at least from his side, that he might not be coming back to the Sens. This, this boggles my mind. Like you, the Sens are not going to contend next year. They have a great team, but they're not going to contend. And Mark Borietsky is like a real life superhero. The amount of stories that I've heard about him just being the best human being on the planet are, are immeasurable. For example, um, a producer, uh, great Twitter personality, um, Justin Morissette, he's, uh, he's in the hospital right now because he tried to um, defend someone for, um, against homophobic attacks and, the, and those people broke his leg. And Mark Borietsky, like called him in the hospital and had a conversation about what rehab is like and fighting the mental demons of, of rehabbing, to, um, you know, rehabbing from, a, from a serious injury. And this guy is based in Vancouver. I don't even think he really has a ton of connection to him, but Borietsky saw the story going around on the news and called him. Like he's He's a remarkable guy. And when you have a ton of young players who are coming up in your system, you want to set, like, the biggest thing that all these general managers talk about is, oh, we want to reset the culture. We want to build a good culture. 
what, like he seems to be the probably the best person that any organization can bring in to set a culture. And he, the Suns have oodles of cap space. And yes, they're not going to spend to the cap, but he, there's no way he can command ludicrous amounts of money. He's a left shot defenseman who's coming off. I think it's an 18 point season. Let me just check that to make sure. Like it's he he doesn't have great underlying numbers. Yes, that's that's true. But he plays for the Senators. But he plays for the Senators. Yes, and he logs. He logs 60% defensive zone starts. Like the guy gets the most ridiculous usage. It seems like a no-brainer that they should be bringing him back on like a two-year, you know, $2.5 million deal or something. And yet they're pinching, like they're pinching pennies with him. It just doesn't make sense. He seems like the perfect, he seems like the kind of guy who is worth the, he's worth the dollar figure just from what he brings to the locker room alone. He's one of those, he's like, he's one of those guys that whose intangibles, rare people whose intangibles are actually worth the price of admission for him. So it just, it, this is another, it, the Senators are trying to shoot themselves in the foot before they can even really get started. It's, it's, I don't get it. Maybe he just doesn't want to be mic'd up and put in a room with Eugene Melnick. He had for, to sit you know, through that and they're not rewarding the him video. for it? Come on, man. <laughs> you, you were yeah. held hostage. It, I mean, he seems like the perfect guy that would be like forever with the organization and always getting a paycheck, but that would mean the Senators would have to, you know, pay more than 12 people to help run their franchise. Exactly. And they have like 12 people up in free agency right now. So it's just, yeah, they, they're a weird franchise. I don't know what they're doing. I, I still, I still maintain that I think he'd be a perfect fit for the Maple Leafs. Maybe Travis Dermott goes in a deal. Maybe there's a lot of things that are going to be happening, a lot of movement. And he's a guy who could slide in uh, for a nice price and give you more than he would provide just on the ice and potentially in a third pairing. Uh, one more news and note, Paul mm-hmm. Fenton joining Bill Zito in Florida. You have written down that somehow the worst GM in the history of the NHL, can still get a job in the front office in the salary cap era. Okay. So that's a, a clear distinction you want made and that's fair. Uh, and you also have written down, will Florida ever be good again? Maybe not with Paul Fenton. But you know what? He, he's, he's a guy who had some success as a scout. And if he's just scouting and not managing people, he might not be a complete liability. What just boggles my mind here is that this is like, it's supposed to be a new era. We're supposed to be, you know, they, they fired the hockey man. They're, they're the, you know, in Dale Talon. They're supposed to be going and building a new, a new front office. And one of their first hirings is, like I said, the worst general manager of the salary cap era, whose failures in a one and a half season span um, birthed the greatest piece of sports journalism, I think, in recent memory of the Michael Russo, you know, essentially. And the thing is, is that it was the greatest sort of a, a, a sort of teardown of anyone I, I've ever read, at least in hockey. And there was no malicious intent with it. It was just listing all the things that Paul Fenton did. Now, you're right. A lot of those happened to be his, his failure in managing people. So if he, if he is in a supporting role, if he's just a scout, that's fine. But not only are, is Paul Fenton joining Bill Zito in Florida, his, the Wild let his son out of his contract and, that, um, and is now Paul Fenton and his son are joining uh, Bill Zito in Florida. So it's just mm. the nepotism. Like, it, it, you might as well have just kept Dale Town. This is a Dale Town move. It just boggles my mind. I don't, Florida, there's, this is supposed to be a new era for them. And their first move to really shore, or one of their first moves to really shore up that, um, you know, to shore, to shore up their, their front office, their new look, you know, moving into a new era of front office is hiring Paul Fenton and his son. That just, it just goes to show that you can, you can be, like I said, the worst general manager in the salary cap era who mishandled his, his one shot at being a general manager so poorly 
that that it just it bred it it bred a a a piece that that rivaled no that surpassed any reality television i've ever watched in my entire life and i'm a big bachelor guy and it surpassed anything on that regard you can still get one of the most coveted jobs in sports which is a job in the nhl front office that shouldn't show you anything about what the nhl is right now you could do you could fail as hard as you possibly can in as in as quick of a, as of a, in as quick of a timeline as you possibly can have and still land on your feet. Just, it, it boggles my mind. I wonder how awkward, awkward the uh, office culture was for Paul Fenton's kid in Minnesota after all that went down. Go read the Michael Russo, Paul Fenton piece. It is, it is a, just a jewel of journalism. And it probably will answer that question because it, there, it was just, I can't go through it now. It's just incredible. So Russo was right about Fenton. Uh, not sure he was right about the Capitals, who are denying the fact that uh, they were just in the Toronto bubble to party. Uh, but that's a conversation for another, mm-hmm. another time because uh, we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. Live, laugh, leave. We'll roll on into the uh, Stanley Cup final soon enough, but we'll probably have a show uh, before these third rounds are over. Uh, we're expecting big things from one and the other to be over. Uh, pretty quickly here but uh, I think Dallas and Vegas still has that potential to entertain us before we get to the cup final and then that Tuesday where we'll be doing our virtual draft and just uh, you know hiding from the NFL like the NHL always does and probably always should do hell yeah Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 